Hello, welcome to Talking City, the Manchester City from the Manchester Evening News. My name is Joe Bray and I'm afraid we've got to discuss Manchester City's Champions League final heartbreak in Porto. And there for us was uh, Stuart Brennan. How are you doing, Stu? I'm frazzled, but thanks thanks for asking. Sounds <laughs> <laughs> like you had some trip uh, there and back. We'll uh, get some of that from you shortly. And also, uh, who survived not going to uh, to Porto, it sounds, was uh, Tyro Marshall. How are you, Ty? I'm good. Thank you, Joe. I'm good. Looking forward to uh, a bit of bank holiday sunshine a bit later on, hopefully. Well, that's it. Yeah, we're all stuck inside and we can see uh, lovely weather outdoors on the bank holiday. So uh, we'll we'll get through this and uh, have a bit of a chat about City. Stuart, we'll start with you because you were there in Porto. Talk us through just the, the sort of build up to the final and then what happened from the moment that team sheet came out and uh, and everything afterwards. What was your experience? Yeah, I mean, I, I think City and the and the fans were quite confident going in the game. I think the consensus was uh, that if City turn up, you know, and if Chelsea turned up as well, you know, if they both played well, City would win, and that the only way uh, that Chelsea would win the game was if Chelsea played well and City didn't. I think the factor we didn't really bring in, I think I think that did happen. By the way, I think Chelsea were exceptional. I thought Angolo Kanté was just out of this world, but City didn't play well. And the fact that we didn't also think might happen was that, that Pep would throw one of his uh, his team selection wobblers in because he seemed to have got that out of his system. You know, he, he, all the talk before the quarterfinal and semi-final was, yeah, you know, it was, it was as if he was trusting his players now to go out and play. You know, they've done it all season, so trust them. Pick the team that you know is, is strongest and got the best balance to it. And, of course, that didn't happen. I mean, it, it's only, you know, people have made a big thing of it and as Pep always says, if he'd have pulled it out, if they'd have, if they'd have played well and won the game, he would have been a genius for doing it. But because he didn't, he gets fingers pointed at him. But personally, I I think it was the wrong thing to do. But it wasn't the it wasn't the whole story. And City didn't play well. Chelsea were extremely good, and uh, you know we we all saw the outcome of that. Yeah, Tyro, what were your thoughts on the on the team selection? Was it necessary to have that holding midfielder, or is that just hindsight given the way that the game played out? Uh, I, I, mean, I I think it was necessary. I I don't think it made much sense. Um, I mean, the fact that either one of Rodri or Fernandinho had started fifty nine of City's previous sixty games this season kind of shows you how the team has been been built around that that role and. You know, to suddenly abandon that in the biggest game of all was just, I mean, it was it's classic pep in a way, isn't it? In that no one saw it coming. Um, you know, the, the game they didn't play was Olympiacos in November. You can't get much different from Olympiacos in November to a Champions League final in Porto in, in May. And it just it just seemed an incredible decision. And, you know, Stu's right that it, it, he had seemed to have found this settled team. And the start in 11 in the two games against Dortmund and the two games against PSG, were so, you know, they were so similar. I think maybe nine of the 11 started all four of those games and it felt like the only real debate was at left-back, which Inchenko had obviously won, and then Rodri or Fernandinho. I don't think any of us expected neither of them to play. And, you know, Gundogan has performed that role well previously, particularly the mind goes back to the, the 14-game winning run to, to pit Liverpool to the title by a point um, in, when was that, 2018-19? And, you know, he, he was exceptional as a holding midfielder back then and, and you know, really really played a massive part in that run to get City over the line. But he's not done it this season. He's barely done it this season. He's become a goal scorer this season. It kind of showed you how an, how how much of an attacking team it was that the top scorer was playing defensive midfield. And it was just, you know, it, it, it just seemed bizarre. And I'm sure, you know, Pep's obviously got his reasons. He didn't really give much away on them in, in 
in the press conference as he often as he often doesn't. Um, but you know, he could probably sit us all down privately and explain why he did it, and we'd nod and think, yeah, maybe that makes a bit of sense. But just didn't make a lot of sense to me. I think the goal stemmed from the lack of a holding midfielder in that the back four was so ragged because John Stones had to go out on halfway to Mason Mount because there was no holding midfielder near him, really. I don't think Mount would have had the freedom that he had in that first half had Fernandinho or, or Rodri been there. And, you know, I'm not surprised he didn't change it straight away at, at half time. And it just, it kind of made it feel like the game was played entirely on Chelsea's terms. The first half was was fairly open and, and they had the better chances and found it far too easy to, to run out and get behind the City back four. And in the second half, with a lead, they were happy to defend and sit back, and you know they defended exceptionally well. City really struggled to to create any chances, and it just you know it felt like as a result of that selection, the game was kind of played on on Chelsea's terms, which is how they wanted it. Yeah, I, I think I agree with you there because, as you say, the the whole season has been built on having that sort of link between defence and attack, and that mm. is Rodrigo Fernandinho. And I, I, it looked to me like the defence were just exposed completely and, no, and nothing showed mm. it more than the goal. Like you say, John Stones had to come out, Timo Werner's run to take Diaz out of the equation mm. was brilliant. He couldn't hit a band or in front of goal, <laughs> but his, his running gave Diaz and Stones yeah, a definitely. horrid night. And I, I even thought Zinchenko, who's been brilliant all season, looked, he, he was sort of playing a little bit midfield, defensive midfield to to help out a bit but he he was then running back and then just stopped when Edison didn't get the ball before Havertz and it, it just felt a little bit disjointed and, and all those defenders have been so good this season it showed how having someone like Roger or Fernandinho really does help them do their jobs and yeah Pep Guardiola's explanation was he wanted to overload the spaces in Chelsea's back line I kind of get that having Raheem Sterling and uh, De Bruyne and Leonardo, all these players but clearly didn't work and uh, you say Tyrone you'd have changed it after half time I think you could have seen after 20 minutes half an hour that it that wasn't working the, the plan that he clearly had wasn't playing out so maybe he could have changed it before but it's it's all it, it's it's a lot of hindsight really I think um, he said as well he thought that the second half would be different to the first again it was like you say Chelsea dictated the game as they wanted and you know I don't believe that Chelsea are the best team in Europe this season but they were the best team on the night and that's what you need to do and I think that's the sort of lesson that that City need need to learn if they're ever in this position again. Stu what do you think the impact of playing a false nine had on the game it it seemed like a fairly obvious choice but I don't know about you I saw a lot of crosses go into the box and cleared at the back post with no one in the middle just you know someone like Aguero or even Jesus to to poke home do you think that would have made a difference? Yeah I I think there have been times throughout this season I mean they've made a success out of playing without a striker you know because Aguero's been injured for most of it or not not 100% or or not picked Uh, and Jesus's form has been up and down so they've made a big success out of playing without a striker and you know again Pep has been hailed as a genius for doing that and I, th- I think there's some some credence in that you know he's, he's made a success out of a, a out of a weakness but I think there does come a time and um, I've said it before in, in in other games you know in in the semi-final when it was tight against Borussia Dortmund when it was tight that you make chances and if you don't put them away if it, you know and the, the number of times we saw near post crosses and down the years, a number of times I've seen Sergio Aguero make that dart to the near post and put the near post cross in. Gabriel Jesus has done it as well uh, since, he, since he came to City. It's just a striker's, that striker's instinct is lacking if you don't have a striker, if you don't have an actual goal scorer on the field. We didn't see an awful lot of that in the final, to be honest with you. But I mean, I, I wrote a piece saying how, how what we saw in the final underlined 
why City's transfer priorities are what they are. And the top of those priorities is getting a striker in. I'm not, you know, Kane would have caused that Chelsea defence a lot more problems than, than having Foden and Bernardo and De Bruyne sort of flitting in and out. They were ready for that, Chelsea. They knew what to expect. They've seen City do it all season. If you have Harry Kane up there, who's, who's a physical specimen, who's, who's prepared to go toe-to-toe with Rudiger and Thiago Silva or Christensen and, you know, and take them on on their own basis. But he's sharp as well. He's a smart footballer as well. You know, Erling Haaland, another one, he's a big physical specimen. He's not going to be bullied. You know, he wouldn't have Rudiger sticking his shoulder in his face. You know, it's, it's just as likely to be the other way around. So... I think I think having that lack of a focal point. I think when Jesus came on, I thought City looked better. You know, they actually had somebody who who was putting themselves about and acting more like a striker, and you know, dropping deep and laying the ball off, and then making a spin and and that kind of thing that you you, you don't always get. Uh, and I I think I think and like you say, crosses into the box. Again, we've seen it all season. Crosses into the box when, when City start getting a little desperate, sailing over the heads of Bernardo and Aguero and Jesus and you know all these tiny little fellas. Uh, if you've got a Harry Kane there, and when it comes to set pieces as well, you've got the centre backs. You often have Rodri as well, but having Harry Kane in that mix just gives an ex- extra extra difficulty. All these all these little margins in big games from set pieces or from crosses into the box or from, from making a one chance and converting that one chance, that's where you need a that's where you need a proper striker. And they didn't have one. And I think that is one of the things that cost them on the night. Yeah, absolutely. And and we saw Sergio Aguero crying on the pitch after after the game and that's obviously an end of an era now for, for City and City mm-hmm. fans because he's on his way to Barcelona. But um, yeah, Tyrone, what what would you say is needed in the transfer market? I'm guessing you will say a striker as well as Stu. Is there anywhere else in, in the team that you think City could look at, especially given how, how the final played out? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm with Stu. A striker has got to be the, the number one priority. I wrote it in my piece for the morning after the game and it did feel like it would have been a different game if, if Harry Kane was was in that team and leading the line. Also for his ability just to create something out of nothing, which occasionally is what you need in, in a game like that. And he's, you know, he picks up the ball 20 yards, 25 yards from goal. He's a threat with his, his shooting from distance and sometimes just having that threat can, can allow players space to play in. And, you know, City's problem was that there wasn't enough space and too often players were having to drop deep to, to link the build up and it left no sort of None of the false nines are naturally used to, to holding a, a position in the penalty area and it kind of left them short of options when they did have the ball. So that, that for me has got to be the priority. I think left back as well, you'd you'd probably look at and say, finally, that that needs fixing. Um, you know, City have done incredibly well to have the success they have had without having kind of a constant presence at left back over recent years. Zinchenko again has done incredibly well this year to, to make that position his own. He gets written off every season and comes back stronger and stronger. He was an invisible presence at, at times this season. But then as we got to the business end of the season, he, he was back in the team. He's a calm head. He's, he's used to the ball. He's excellent. But we did see his defensive frailties for the goal. Like you say, he he was asleep really when Havertz made that run. He had to track Havertz's run. He didn't. He let him go. By the time he realised he was the wrong side of him, it was too late. And, you know, the, the build-up to that goal was too easy. But had... had Zinchenko done what a fullback should do with stay goal side of the run, then it could have been prevented as well once once he got to that position. So I think you'd look at a left back, the the options there, you know, I mean Mendy's obviously not the man, is he? Um Cancello did really well this season, but 
he, he's kind of fallen out of favour. Um, he, he's more of a right back anyway, and it does feel like they they really need a natural left back, a left footed left back, just to to give the team better balance. And we've been saying that for three years, maybe four years now. And every year, City City kind of make a mockery of the need to actually have a natural left back, but. It does feel like it, it's coming to the point where you really you really do need that. But I think striker has got to be the priority. I think striker can a striker can kind of take this team to to the next level, really. Yeah, I, I think this is the thing. We, we, we're talking about a team that's won the Premier League and the Carabao Cup and got to the semi-finals of the FA Cup and the final of the Champions League. It's not been a bad season. I'll stick with you, Tyrone, for this. It's, it's, we, we can take positives from from the final, from, from City's point of view and the season. As Pep Guardiola said, they've played... 61 games out of a possible 62 this season and, and done oh. so well. Yeah, the, you know, they have. And it's been such a such a difficult season with, with the absence of crowds and playing every midweek, basically. It's, it's been absolutely relentless. And, you know, to have achieved what they have done is is remarkable. I think to achieve it in the manner they have done is is fantastic. You know, I I don't think I was alone in in writing them off in November, really. It, it felt like they were they were really struggling then. And... You know, I wrote at the start of the season that Guardiola had to do something this season that he'd never really done before in rebuild a winning team. He left Barcelona on a high. He left Madrid. Uh, sorry, he left Munich on a high. He arrived at City and built that team up into a winning machine. But it kind of felt that this year was the first year in his managerial career where things hadn't gone to plan and a team that he'd built kind of needed remoulding and, and reshaping. And there's not many managers to do that these days. Managerial reigns are so short that a lot of managers just don't do that and when it goes wrong they leave so you know it's something we've we've not seen in the premier league since the days of probably Wenger and Ferguson at their best so it was a huge challenge for him and i think the fact he's achieved it um only adds to his level of of genius really that that he has managed to pull it off and and rebuild a winning team obviously there's there's more there's more great names of of city leaving this year with aguero we still don't know what's going to happen with fernandinho so they need to kick on from this i think I don't think they'll be far away from the Champions League final again next year, just because I think the English teams are so dominant now. I can only see one of the four English teams or Bayern Munich winning it next year. I don't see any threats from Spain or Italy, really. So I think they'll be very close again next year. Uh, I think they might be challenged again in the, the league next year of the, you know, of, of the sort of three recent title-winning teams of, of Guardiola's. I'd say this is the weakest. You know, I don't think they're on the level of the hundred-point season or the ninety-eight-point season, and. Uh, you know, I guess the points tally bears that out. They had that phenomenal 21-game winning run. Either side of that, there's been vulnerabilities that maybe weren't there in, in those seasons. So I think there's, A, still room for improvement. And they might, you know, they might need to improve. They've won it with a, you know, with points total. I think it was mid-80s in the end this season. They might need to go to 90s again next year. We'd probably expect Liverpool to, to mount a, a more credible challenge. Chelsea look like they might not be far away at all under Tuchel, the way they're improving. So I think it... You know, I think it could be really close, and I think, I think you're probably talking, you know, at least three of the best four or five teams in Europe are in the Premier League at the moment. So it's going to be a real battle. But to have, you know, to have won it this season and won it in the manner they have, and from where they were in November, I think is is definitely a, a huge achievement for for Guardiola. And I think he's, you know, this season has added to his his level of genius for me. Absolutely, and yeah, with, with all the all the pressures going on, and I, you look at the the calendar, the last twelve months, City have had one month off. Mm-hmm. given the, the end of the last season and then this season and, and they've kept such a high level go, going through that and you, you, you do think that the only way is up. Um, Stu, there was fans in the ground in, in the final and some fantastic videos of, of uh, a sea of sky blue taking over Porto. What what was the atmosphere like and, and 
what what can fans who spent so much money, spent so much time to get out to Porto, what can they take from City's first Champions League final? Well, I was on the on the plane home. Uh, there was an, almost entirely City fans fly, flying back yesterday, and they were in pretty good spirits. I I, wouldn't, I thought it might be quite a miserable trip back, but a lot of them were kind of my age or a little younger, and they've they've been been there when it truly was depressing at City, you know, when they were playing at York away and stuff like that, you know. And I, th- I think obviously the disappointment after the final was uh, was 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 tangible, but they soon they soon bounced back. And everyone I spoke to said what a brilliant trip it had been. They really enjoyed the first Champions League final. Uh, the atmosphere in the town. I know there was there was quite a bit on social media of uh, of elements of trouble, uh, which nobody wants. And you know, you just got to hope that idiots like that will stay away. But I. Th- I think I was there for three days. I didn't see any either. There was a lot of noise going on and, and people in high spirits and singing, but I didn't I didn't see any any trouble at all. And there were a load of city fans there without without a ticket. You know, they just went out for the occasion. They they vastly outnumbered the Chelsea fans. I mean, we were walking around on the Thursday and on the Friday and you you, you sort of rarely coming across Chelsea fans. Uh, and the fact that they, they return tickets Chelsea. I mean I I, I won't criticize that because I think at the end of a you know, in a difficult year, uh, I think everybody's had problems, but City fans clearly decided that this was going to be a, a big occasion for them, and uh, they've gone out and enjoyed it. And even in defeat, I think they've they've enjoyed the whole the whole occasion. That was my overwhelming feeling, and it it, it was a it, it was a, a positive experience apart from the result. I would say. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think you summed it up. They said it's the first Champions League final because it, it's going to be that, isn't it? It's not the only Champions League final. You you, you look at this team, and you think it's it's going to to be back, and and that was the message from Guardiola and all of the players. This team will get stronger for this uh, this experience. It's now it's, the end of the season. It's still a young team. Yeah. Sorry, it's, it's it's still a very young team. You know, you look at the ages of some of the players: Diaz, Foden. I mean. Rodri was on the bench, but he's young, you know, and and quite a lot who are in the mid twenties. You know, they've got years to come and playing in a fight. I thought Foden was City's best player at the eight. You know, he just turned twenty one, um, and he didn't look phased by being in the final at all, uh, which bodes well for England at the European Championships, especially with some of the England players and the Chelsea team who, who were brilliant as well. But going forward in terms of City, you know, you kind of think in years to come, these young players will will benefit from the experience and benefit from, from having lost because they, the next time they're there, they will not want to feel this way again. I don't think they'll have ever have felt as bad in their careers. First major setback really for for Foden, I would say, and 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 those, those and probably for Diaz as well, and they they will soak this experience up, and it it will it will make them stronger. It hasn't killed them, so it'll make them stronger. Absolutely, yeah, and uh, it's just a shame that Phil Foden's games per trophy tally wasn't uh, wasn't improved. <laughs> that is, it's just ridiculous. He's as you say, he turned twenty one, and he's he's won almost everything, and. Like yeah, he'll be back. He will definitely uh, be lifting that trophy at some point in the career. You'd think it's the end of the season. City have won two trophies, not won two others. How do we look at this season? You've talked about it a bit, Tyrone. But does the final change anything? That like it's still been a cracking season, hasn't it? Even though they've lost the Champions League final. Yeah, it has. You know, I, I mean, I guess defeating the final has to change something. It, it it's not a perfect season because they were they were so close to achieving. What I think we all know has been, you know, Guardiola's ultimate aim since he arrived here. But anytime you win the Premier League, anytime you win your domestic title, it has to be considered a very good season. So, you know, I think to win to win two trophies 
including one of which is your league title. I think you have to say that that is an excellent season. Obviously, it it could have been perfect with with victory on on Saturday night, and that will be you know when the players depart for international duty now or, or going on holiday, whatever they do, you know it's it, the first, their first thought when they're lying on the sunbeds thinking of the season won't be the Premier League. It will be I can't believe we got that close and didn't win it. Um, but I still think when you look at the season as a whole, you have to say it's it's been an excellent season to, to have achieved what they have done, to have come from where they were in November to to win it. You know, we've learned a lot about this team. We've learned more about Guardiola this season. So, you know, you have to say it's it's been a superb season. And, and like Stu said, the you know, the, the nucleus of the team is is pretty young. And while more legends are leaving in Aguero, possibly Fernandinho, there's still, you know, they've been replaced by young players. The, the nucleus of the team is is probably a young one now and they will they will come on and, and benefit from this and I think there's no reason they can't they can't build on it for next season so you know of, of course losing a final changes slightly how a season's viewed but it's not gone from good to poor it's gone from potentially being perfect to just being excellent I would say yeah I think that's a, a good way of putting it and uh, Stu on the subject of outgoings we know Sergio Aguero is in Barcelona as expected to finish his move. Is there any movement on Fernandinho? Um, any, anyone else who might might leave to to pave the way for incoming transfers? I've not heard anything on Fernandinho as yet. That's something I, I will be checking later today. To be honest, in terms of I mean, obviously the clever money is on on somebody coming in to replace Aguero. Uh, you kind of think they probably wouldn't have let him go unless they were fairly confident they were going to get somebody. But whoever that whoever comes in is going to cost. And I don't see City being able to pay, you know, you're talking about 150 million for Erling Haaland, you're talking about similar kind of amounts for Kane, you know, between 100 and 150. I can't see City paying that. So, I mean, I was discussing this with one or two of the other other journalists um, over a beer or two on Thursday, Friday night. <laughs> and I think the, the the idea is that somebody will leave, perhaps even in a player, player exchange, somebody will go for big money. So then you're looking at players like Gabriel Jesus, possibly Sterling. Nathan Ake is a name that, that keeps cropping up as a potential, not necessarily a make-weight, but somebody who will leave and that will bring in funds. And even Riyad Mahrez is another name. You know, does City, City spend, does City uh, sell him while his stock's high? You know, he's 30 now. Get some money for him and use that money to bring in a Kane or a Haaland or, or somebody like that. And also, I mean, I think City will also go into the, the bank of players that, as they always do, they're academy products who aren't going to make an impact at first team level. You know, they've got quite a lot of those knocking around, start selling some of those off. So you've got like Lucas Nemechi, who's, who's had a decent season at Anderlecht. There are, there are like half a dozen of those who you might get a few million for and all that kind of money. You know, it's, it's been a lucrative business for City, the academy, and, you know, in, in the last, last few years. They've, they've made 150, 200 million, and I think it is in about the last five years, just by selling off players who are not going to figure in, in the first team. So all, all that kind of adding up, they will use that to try and finance a deal for, for an incoming striker. But you do kind of think that a big name just might go. Who that is at the moment isn't massively clear, but the kind of names that you're talking about, Sterling, Jesus, Ake, perhaps even Mares, you know, one of them comes out, goes out, and uh, some somebody else comes in. One of one of the one of those named strikers. Yeah, it's uh, going to be an interesting summer. I think Amerik Laporte's another one for me who keeps dropping tiny little hints about not that he's unhappy, not that he wants to leave, but. We'll see, basically. You know, let's let's see what happens, and he can't be too pleased about 
you know, as, as much as he has done this season with the uh, resurgence of John Stones and uh, Ruben Diaz's brilliance. And it, he, I mean, you can see by the fact that he's gone to play for, for Spain, how much he wants to play regular games at, at the highest level. Um, in terms of the player of the season, Tyrone, we're, we're at the end of the season. Ruben Diaz has won the Football Writers Award. He's won the City Player of the Season. He's my player of the season, but does the final again change anything? It wasn't his best game. There might have been a couple of players who did a bit better. And Phil Foden ended the season brilliantly. Any any anyone to take that crown off Diaz in the last minute? No, I don't think so. I mean, I voted for Diaz as, as Player of the Year in the Football Writers Award, and you know, I think the impact he's had on City has been absolutely remarkable. I was leaning towards voting for him anyway, and then it was the second leg against Paris Saint-Germain. I think I voted the day after that and just watching him in that game, it just sort of solidified in my mind that, it, you know, he was the outstanding candidate and he's just, he's been such a natural leader and the improvement he's brought to that back four has been absolutely phenomenal. Um, I think Foden would definitely be up there, definitely be in the top three. I think you'd probably give, probably give a shout to John Stones, really. You know, the, you look to where he was 12 months ago and, and how you know, how his career, his City career had looked dead in the water probably for two years at least before the start of this season. And, you know, I think probably a lot of us expected him to be gone at the start of this season and to have, have come back the way he was, the, the way he has done really and, and ousted Laporte and, and been a regular part of that back four. You know, I think he's had an incredible season and I think it says a lot for him personally, the way he's, the way he's fought back and, and kind of rescued his City career when, when it had looked all but, you know, all but done. I think he deserves a lot of, a lot of credit for it. So I guess maybe those would be my top three, but I think you know I think Diaz is is far and away the winner for me. I think he's been outstanding. I think he's been the best player in the Premier League, and I think he's had the biggest impact of any new signing in the Premier League as well in in terms of the impact he's had on his teammates. Yeah, no arguments there for me. I think with John Stones, what what stands out to me is that during the lockdown period where football just stopped, I think that benefits. He was at a really bad point in the season. He wasn't getting back in the team. And he, he had that time to really knuckle down, work on his fitness. I think he, he did an interview and he said he, he really worked on his worked in the gym and made himself stronger so that when he came back in, he was ready for, for that challenge. And then he played a bit more after after the lockdown. And then this season, he's he's really took his chance. So, uh, yeah, I think he deserves to be in that conversation. Stu, if there was a player of the year without Diaz, who would it go to for you? Um well, I'm too tight to join the Football Writers Association. I'm, I'm not paying, <laughs> not paying the tenner or whatever it is to get in. So uh, I, I didn't get a vote, unfortunately. <laughs> but if I had, I'd, I would have gone for Diaz. I would have gone for Diaz. But the fact, the fact that there were nine players, nine City players mm. who got votes, just shows shows you the strength of of what City have been about. You know, it, it, it's very much a team rather than a collection of individuals, and I, I think that tells. But yeah, the, the same names. I mean, for, I think Foden for such a young man is blossoming this season has, has been one of the stories of the season uh, you know at the start of the season he still wasn't you know he's, he's played a lot of big games in the last three years or so but he still wasn't a regular he still wasn't sure now he's, he's the main man you know I think he has for the, for the last two or three months he's been City's go-to man he's the one that you give the ball to and try and get something to happen and even in the final I thought that was the case as well he was a, he looked the man who was most likely to do something totally unfazed so that's been a story. John Stones has been a been a great story, you know. That uh, as Ty said, he, he got himself physically right, and I think in getting himself physically right, he helps himself to get mentally right as well. Um, he had a little wobble early on in the final as well, but I, I think a lot of that was to do with a 
the fact that City were being tactically exposed by what Chelsea were doing down the left-hand side. You know, I think everybody, uh, Diaz suffered from it, Zinchenko suffered from it. Kyle Walker looked like a, looked a little bit manic at times. So, you know, he, he's another one. Ilkay Gundogan, I think, is perhaps a name that we haven't said yet who, who yeah. deserves a mention. I think he, he picked up the bat. And when Kevin De Bruyne got injured and we all thought, you know that that could sort of interrupt City's City's flow. If anything, I thought they were better without De Bruyne. I mean, I think in the long run you're not because he's such a top quality player. But I, I thought that you know because several players took it upon themselves to make up for the gap. I thought Gundogan was one, Bernardo Silva was one, Foden was one. They all upped their game by degrees, and because of that, City City looked just as strong, if not stronger, when De Bruyne was out for that period, uh, and Gundogan was the one who. who who took on the mantle of, of doing what De Bruyne does and scoring important goals and, and making those important assists as well. So so he's a name. I know the nine City players, there was one vote for Sergio Aguero, which was very much a sentimental vote. And I get that. I understand that, you know, because he's, he's not got the individual honours that he should have from his 10 years at City, 10 years in England. And I think somebody thought, well, I'm going to give him my vote at least, you know, so I can I can say I didn't play part in this this awful conspiracy against Sergio Aguero. Um <laughs> But but you know yeah I mean the, the, those names the, the other eight I mean some some of the others Cancelo uh, has been good in patches but not not for long enough but when you look right across the season Diaz from the moment he walked through the door right up until perhaps not the final but right up until before the final um, and even then in the final I didn't think it was it was his fault I just thought it was the way the team was set up and, and the team that was selected more more than more than him individually but I think he's he's been absolutely ac- exceptional I was I was uh, my taxi back to the airport yesterday I was talking to the driver as you do uh, he was a Benfica fan and he was saying oh He's a great, always been a great player. You know, he's he's been a big hero at Benfica since coming through the youth ranks. Uh, and I said, well, you know, you know, he's 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 made the same impact in England. He's he's been absolutely outstanding, not just at City, but but in the Premier League as a whole. I think this is actually the um, sorry, but in the the first the first season, you know, there's always been a lot written about how City win the league with massive points tallies and then and don't win the individual awards and. I think that's because in in those seasons they've had so many players at the top of their game splitting the vote. And although as you mentioned there, there was nine players voted for. I think a lot of them were were in low numbers. And to me, this has been the most obvious City Player of the Year. I can remember for for quite a few years, to be honest. In that Diaz is just obviously the winner. Really, I, you know, I think if you put it to a poll of City supporters, you'd probably get eighty five ninety percent of the votes. And I think to me, it, it's been the most obvious case maybe under Guardiola's tenure, really, of City having one player who has categorically been the best player. And I think that's why he's won individual awards. I think previously they've suffered from having so you know so many players. You know, they've had a lot of players at a high level this year, but maybe the one, they haven't always had a player who's stood out head and shoulders above the rest. But I think with Diaz, that, that probably is the case this year. And, and that's why he's, he's won those awards. Yeah, absolutely. I think Diaz will go down as, as one of those players that when you look at the title winning sides, they've always got a rock of a defender at the back. And he is mm. the John Terry, the Nemanja Vidic, the Virgil van Dijk. He is the, the Vincent company of this side. So uh, if it's the one he's been waiting for, the talking City player of the year, we'll uh, unofficially get <laughs> to, to, to Ruben Diaz. I'll, I'll throw one mention for Riyad Mahrez, who I think he's had uh, mm. probably his best uh, best season as a, a City player, uh, especially in the big moments. But uh, yeah, Diaz is is the winner for for us, and and that will 
conclude today's Talking City. We'll uh, be back over the summer. There's uh, a lot of football still to be played. City finally get a rest, but some of them in the uh, Euros this summer, the likes of Phil Foden get on for England and, and so on, and Laporte for Spain. There'll be uh, talking points, but uh, for now, Stu, Ty, thank you very much. Um, and we will be back with the Talking City not too long in the future.